Raw Ag is your link to the food chain, and every episode will take you somewhere along that chain. From conception to consumption, you will hear from the cutting-edge players in Australian agriculture with industry news, unique views and presentations. We can all be better farmers, sustainable, regenerative and innovative. We can all be more informed and aware consumers. And Rorag is your next step in that direction. Brought to you by Ace Radio and Tamania Angus. I'm Kate Mead and today it is my honour to introduce you to host Tom Gubbins. Today I'm excited to be chatting to Fiona Conroy. Fiona and her husband Cam Nicholson run a mixed farming enterprise in the southwest of Victoria. Fiona's journey to a carbon-neutral farm began over 25 years ago, and today we are going to learn more about how they have been able to achieve carbon neutrality on their farm. Welcome to the podcast, Fiona. Thanks for having me on. Now, we're going to uh, have a chat today about carbon farming, and on my way down I was um, wondering what carbons are and how do you sow them or plant them? <laughs> That'd be really easy <laughs> if we could just say carbons. Um, I suppose, look, you know, carbon farming's one thing, but we're all in farming to make a, a profit and to look after the environment, and carbon's really a bit of a bonus on the side. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. We've, uh, I think agriculture's getting the raw end of the stick a little bit in the climate change debate. Um, now, Generally, society has accepted that climate change is upon us and man's having an influence on it. Now we've got to come up with some solutions. What role does um, agriculture have in this? It seems that beef is particularly is a bit demonised, the silos of um, measuring carbon in our society being transport, industry, land, cropping, beef or ruminants being one of the silos um, are not holistically sort of compare, able to give the benefit of the carbon contribution that one of those silos has to the other. And beef-land interaction holistically is a very complex one, um, which you've been involved in for many years. Soil is um, a, a potentially a huge storage mechanism for carbon. At the moment, soil, it's estimated... Uh, is storing 1,500 gigatons of carbon. The atmosphere is 800 gigatons and plant mass on the planet is 600 gigatons. What, what else can we do in that area, do you think, to change our management practices in beef and ruminants and generally across the farm to sequester even more carbon into soil? Look, I think it's a really interesting topic. Um, you know, when you look at figures of where agriculture sits in Australia, like we're not the biggest carbon emitter. Um, information that's been put out by the Australian government and sort of you can look it up on the Climate Council tables show that really the biggest emitters of carbon in the environment are electricity and transport and energy production. So energy production accounts for half of Australia's carbon emissions and transport's about 20 Agriculture, which is all agriculture, comes in at about, I don't know, 12%. But look, you know, Australia's got a political obligation to reduce carbon. And I think sometimes the red meat industry cops more attention than we actually deserve. But look, it's important that we do something about carbon. 
we've got, you know, climate change is, affects everyone and it probably affects farmers more than anything else. And we've seen what's happened with the bushfires and the droughts. And look, you know, we're on the receiving end of climate change in ag. But I think we've also got to be really conscious that consumers want to have products that are environmentally responsible. And, you know, we've got a bit of a social licence issue in the beef industry to make sure that we're doing a good job with carbon management. And I think we're in a unique position in the fact that look, cattle produce methane and agriculture, you know, fertilisers and stuff like that do contribute to carbon. But we've got this amazing capacity in an agricultural system to actually sequester carbon back through trees and soils. And um, we're one of the few industries that can be almost self-contained in our carbon um, emissions and sequestration. Look, and I can only talk about what we've done on our place. And we've been measuring soil carbon. Look, we, we soil test a third of our farm every year. And um, we've got figures that show that by changing our production um, and going into perennial pastures, rotational grazing, increasing soil fertility, um, that we've sort of increased our soil carbon substantially, but we've also planted a lot of trees. Um, and we've got figures to actually back up and say that our farm's sequestering more carbon than we're emitting. And I think that's a great position for beef, the beef industry to be in. So Fiona, you know, the, the needs and wants of society are, you know, becoming more and more complex. And the questions um, that the consumers are always right is starting to be quite complex for me because some of the requests that people make about um, what they're going to eat and what they're going to consume, I don't agree with. What do we do about sort of um, almost sort of toxic tribalism that's creeping into society and ignoring the actual truth that farmers on the ground see? Beef is being demonised by animal liberation. Probably I feel that some of the environmental negative effects of are being posted and spread more widely than they should be because of the emotional side of animal welfare and animal liberalisation. How, how can we do more as farmers to get our message out that we're not demons and harming the, harming the world? We're really conscious of the fact that we want to be able to work with the ecosystem and the environment. Look, I think... All farmers want to do a good job. All farmers care about their environment and they care about their stock. Uh, and I suppose, look, we're constantly dealing with consumer goalposts that are shifting. Look, you know, people are more concerned about the environment, biodiversity and animal welfare than they were 10 or 15 years ago. And I think we've also got to keep in mind that different markets have different things as well. Like, obviously, in the EU markets, people are far more sort of focused on environment and animal welfare than they are in sort of some of the more emerging markets where people are pretty much just focused on price. Um, but, you know, once again, I think it comes back to the social licence we need to have with Australian consumers. Sure, there's people out there who are going to be, you know, animal rights extremists and we're never going to be able to satisfy those people because they don't think we should exist. But I think we've got to remember, although that they're noisy, they are a minority. And the best thing we can do is have some industry credentials to show that we are doing a good job. And, um, you know, I think the, you know, the red meat industry has taken the initiative with a couple of programs. We've got the beef sustain the sustainability framework 
And we've also got MLA doing this carbon neutral 2030 program. Um, look, we've been involved in one of the pilot programs this year, which is looking at trying to do a carbon accounting on farm. Um, we've done some calculations with the pilot, sort of road testing their figures, and we're going to be one of the case studies that I think is going to get written up later this year. Um, but I think, you know, consumer expectations change, and I suppose we've got to make sure that we can constantly move with those expectations and meet them. And, you know, if that means um, quantifying that we've got biodiversity in our farm businesses and we've got uh, a carbon accounting system, then that's the way we're going to have to go. Yeah. So, I mean, we're getting involved in baselining our carbon at the moment with Carbon Link, which come in and they baseline our current carbon levels in the soil. Then we change our management practices, which quite annoys me, really, because I think that we've been trying to sequester carbon to the soil now for 10 years changing grazing rotations by giving the plant a little bit more time to grow into that third leaf stage, two to two and a half to three leaf stage, so that more uh, plant root development occurs so we get carbon going down into the soil. That's the intention. And so we're now going into um, actually benchmarking our, our carbon, where well, then we have to show that we're changing our practices, assuming that our practices were bad in the first place. We've now actually got to change our methodology and then benchmark again in, or look at the soil carbon again in five years and, and whatever we've sequestered, we may be able to market. What are you doing with, in that, in that yeah. frame? Are you doing the same sorts of things? Yeah, oh, we're probably taking a slightly different approach, Tom. Like we, we decided a while back that we weren't going to try and use um, our record keeping for marketing soil carbon. We're doing it more as just an internal accounting system. Um, you've got to have a lot of detail if you're going to be marketing carbon. Um, as I said, look, we've been soil testing a third of our farm to the top 10 centimetres for, oh, God, probably 20. 20 or 30 years of records. So we've got pretty good records of soil carbon levels, um, but probably not to the accuracy that people would require for um, the carbon market. Like we have a GPS where the market, so where the soil tests were taken and gone back to exactly the same place. So look, our figures are our own calculations. Um, we've used uh, the carbon credits farming initiative um, stuff to work out um, soil carbon. We've used the greenhouse calculator to look at what we're sequestering with trees and then we've, because we've only been testing the top 10 centimetres, we've used the CSIRO um, SCARP figures to estimate down to the 30 centimetres. Now, what we've found is that, and I've got some figures here, that our carbon emissions from cattle um, are 822 CO2 equivalents a year. Um, then we've got some a small amount coming from fertiliser and a small amount coming from fuel. So our co total carbon emissions from all sources are about 843 tonnes of CO2 equivalency a year. But then when we've looked at what our soil is sequestering and what our trees are sequestering, and we've planted 39% um, of our farm down to trees, which are all sort of actively growing, and we've used figures from um, Richard Eckhart at the University of Melbourne to come up with the uh, sequestration figures from there. Um, we've got 489 tonnes of CO2 being um, sequestered with trees and 612 being sequestered in soil. So we're actually 
um, sequestering about 30% more than we're emitting. Now, we can because we're not selling it, those figures could be debated, but the fact that we've still got such a big margin, I'm feeling confident that we're, we're really comfortable in that we're sequestering more than um, we're emitting. And we've, when we go back on figures, we've been in that position for about 10 or 12 years. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's different when you're selling it. And I think the other thing that's a real challenge is that soils have a plateau on what they can actually fix in terms of carbon. And a lot of that's got to do with your soil fertility and how much um, clay you've got, rainfall, temperature, pasture species. And if you're doing a really good job to begin with, it's really hard to increase your carbon content in your soil because you're probably at your maximum level to begin with. Um, we've got soils where we've leased properties. Like we farm about 400 hectares and we don't own it all. We pick up a few lease blocks that have been previously cropped. And a lot of those um, cropping soils are about 2% soil carbon. With our soil type, our maximum capacity is about 3% soil carbon. So we can, um, going from crops that were annual and were cultivated regularly and have had low soil carbon levels, we can increase those up to about 3% by going into increasing soil fertility and putting in things like phalaris and perennial pastures and then going into rotational grazing. But, you can make um, your soil a bit deeper too, can't you? That that 3%, oh, so you increase no, well, the amount our, or is that our, not the same? Our, our experience when we've been mapping it is that we, we do sort of plateau at about 3%. And we might go up a little bit and it does go up and down depending on the season. If you've got a, a dry year, it'll drop back a bit. Um, it really depends on how much you can grow, but there's only a limited capacity with us on how much we can um, store, so we're sort of at, at maximum capacity. So um, what, what percentage of farmers do you think are doing it unknown, unbeknownst to them that they're actually um, carbon neutral or better? It's one of these things, it's, it's hard unless you've got the figures, but my gut feeling is that there are lots of people out there that are sequestering more carbon than they're emitting. They're, they're doing a good job with their pastures, they've got trees. Um, look, you know, grazing management's really important and it's also, you know, that's the sequestration side of the equation, but it's also important to look at your emissions. And I think one of the key things with managing emissions is to make sure you're running a really efficient um, herd or flock and that you have animals that are productive and that you're culling animals that are emitting carbon but not contributing to your bottom line. You just can't afford to have passengers running on the place in terms of um, unproductive sheep or cattle. I suppose one of the reasons I got involved in SoilLink was to help commercialise carbon because I really believe that if there's a financial benefit then farmers will get on board. It seems, you know, the industry is able to commercialise carbon by building renewable energy and doing all sorts of things to attempt to sequester carbon. Uh, Agriculture is being left out of it a bit. And I suppose that's because we're all a, we're a mass of individual businesses rather than a, um, a huge multinational company. But that's why I sort of got involved. I wanted to be helpful in helping commercialise the, the start do you think that that is going to be something that happens? You're, you're more interested, I suppose, in selling forward the possibility to su- beef suppliers that you've got a carbon-neutral product. Is that one of the reasons why you're... Look, 
when we st we started a farm development program 20 or 30 years ago and we had a block that had low fertility pretty much no trees and pretty ordinary pastures so we set out to do a farm improvement program and that farm improvement program included you know getting things up and firing in terms of pastures but also tree plantation and we did talk about one of the reasons for planting trees was carbon at the time but it was all a bit vague so we we were sort of aware of the issue but we didn't have it as our driving force we were looking at increasing production um, and that's been our approach all the way along so we've gone and as i said planted extensive tree plantations done soil class fencing different pastures to match different soil types paddock subdivisions water reticulation all this sort of stuff um, to increase production and along the way we've doubled our stocking rate and as we've been measuring things we've, we've moved into this being I don't know if carbon positive is the right word, but sequestering more carbon than we're emitting because we've been able to increase soil carbon. And as I said, you know, we've got a lot of 9% trees. This, they're accounting for 44% of our carbon sequestration. So in terms of per hectare, they're actually punching above their weight in terms of carbon as opposed to soils. But, you know, by improving soil carbon, you know, we've increased you know, soil structure, um, root depth, water holding capacity, all those sort of things as well. Cation exchange. Um, yeah, cation exchange. You know, all the soil properties have improved. But, um, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's been part and parcel of increasing production for us. Um, and it's, you know, we, we've been aware of it, but it's turned out to be a bit of a bonus because I didn't think we'd achieve what we have. And I suppose that's just a matter of record keeping to be able to monitor what's going on. But I can see a, a thing down the track where potentially, yes, that is a positive thing for marketing. Um, look, the other thing that's come along with the whole pasture improvement and the trees is we've had a massive increase in biodiversity. And it's not just, you know, we've gone from having very few birds and things around to, um, like, we've got over 107 different species recorded on the place now. Um, we've got, you know, much better soil health and soil biodiversity. And they're the sort of things, too, that I think we, we're going to see um, links to markets as well. And that might be, you know, we, maybe we're going to get... Maybe, We'll get, you might be able to sell carbon credits if that's the way you want to go, and we haven't chosen to do that, but it might be that we can pick up on biodiversity credits down the track too. If I could just move on to uh, genetics for a, for a bit. There's been a lot of scientific work done on the genetic heritability of carbon intensity and yield, yield being the amount of carbon dioxide emitted per kilogram of beef and the intensity is the amount of carbon dioxide which is emitted as a consequence of the animal being present really. Um, I, I have a bit of trouble with those two definitions because they're quite scientific but intensity is affected really fascinatingly in the rumen. The, the genotype of the animal affects the genotype of the bacteria in the rumen and how much methane is omitted it's actually heritable which unfortunately extremely expensive to get phenotypes so that we can get enough data to to breed animals that um, have less methane intensity but um, you're in the methane yields side the number of 
calves born and obviously their weight gain and everything is important. What are you doing in that area? Look, yeah, I think animal management's got a lot to do with your carbon emissions and and things like um, genetics. It's really important, and and your management system and your selection pressure. And I think we're going to see um, all sorts of potential things come down in terms of rumen modifiers as well down the track. Um, there's a lot of work there with biochar and. Um, red algae type some, I worry like about that. some of those that they're robbing Peter to pay Paul I mean the neat thing about a ruminant is that it can convert otherwise unusable product into something for human consumption and adding additives on atom for atom you know just to try and reduce the amount of methane which may be a pollutant that is acceptable in the whole scheme of things if we look at it holistically with every single factor taken into consideration. What do you think about that? Look, you know, it, it's an evolving space. And, um, look, I suppose in our business, the big thing that we focus on, and this probably seems really, but it is a genetic thing, um, but rather than worrying about, like, you've got to have good quality feed for starters. I suppose that's a management thing. The, if an animal's got access to constant good quality feed, then their feed conversion's going to be better than if they've got poor quality feed, and that's yeah. very much yeah. what's happening in the room. And in terms of our business, our big focus, you know, we've, we're looking at breeding animals that hit specific markets. Um, and look, for some people I know who are prime lamb producers, like if, if they can get genetics right and they can turn their lambs off six to eight weeks earlier, that's a great thing for their carbon emission bottom line because those animals aren't on their property belching and farting for an extra six to eight weeks. So they're, they're reducing their emissions. Um, for us, and we, we run a about 200 cows, we produce feeder steers and we sell um, breeding females in the beef operation that we have. The key thing for us to re reduce carbon is, it sounds really a bit weird, but it's fertility. Like we, we need to have, we're going to invest in having heifers calve at two years, two years of age. That means they've been on the farm emitting carbon for two years. We need to make sure that every heifer gets in calf calves unassisted and rears a calf and then gets back in calf um, after that first calf because it's those animals that fail to do that that are really adding to your carbon emissions because you've invested so much time and allowed them to contribute to your carbon emissions for their lifetime. If they're not producing, then that's a big – that's where we fall over. So we put a lot of pressure on fertility and that's, you know, the genetics are going to be calving ease and um, there's you know, a lot of work going on in terms of puberty and then days to calving. So, you know, fertility is everything for us in and, terms and, of and um, I suppose not just productivity, carbon as well. Yeah, and I suppose you're in, in the north where we're seeing uh, weaning rates in the 50%, you know, which means that every second cow hasn't produced a calf, but she's been – Burping mainly, not much farting yeah. really. But um, <laughs> the uh, you know the northern and obviously there's a lot of work going into the northern um, fertility or reproduction rates uh, scientifically at the moment to try and boost that. Yeah, and I think the really exciting thing is it's it's those sort of it's that sort of selection pressure on fertility that really makes a big difference to your profitability as well. Um, 
as well as your carbon um, balance. And if you know, and I think whatever we do with when we're talking about carbon, the more profitable you can be, nine times out of ten, it's going to benefit your carbon bottom line as well. You know, if you can be more efficient. Um, you've, you've got greater fertility in your herd, you're better at needing target markets, you've got better feed quality. All these things that add to productivity are also helping um, in terms of your carbon emissions as well. And it's much easier when you're making a profit to put the effort into soil fertility, grazing management and tree planting. You know, like you can't be green if you're in the red. Um, we've got to make sure that we're making money along the way. Look, uh, we're getting near the end. I was just one other question. I was just wondering about the, um, you know, society at the moment. Again, I'll just come back to the information that we keep hearing about agriculture. Um, it seems that the information, affirmations all the time in society are about agriculture doing the wrong thing. How do we get ourselves to a situation where um, people understand that a bit better and start affirming to those affirmations affect the psychology of the farmer, the, particularly the farmer who's questioning whether he should be doing more for the environment. Well, yeah, I think that gets a bit a bit depressing, but I think we've got to keep telling ourselves that, you know, there's people out there that have got a vested interest in running the red meat industry down and it's, and it's really, you know, if you're producing impossible burgers or... Um, products like that part of your business model is to run your opposition down and you know and unfortunately that's the beef industry and we're probably not as good as selling the message that we're doing a good job um, as we are because we're all individuals whereas you know you get people with pushing vegan um, products uh, or corporations but I think you know you've got to look at where we're coming from. We actually manage most of the landscape. Most farmers do a great job in looking after their environment. They're really passionate about it and they, they take enormous pride in their farms. They, they really care about their stock. Um, and I think we've got a few initiatives going in the red meat industry at the moment that, you know, if this carbon neutral 2030 initiative from MLA and the beef sustainability framework really get promoted properly and every beef producer should be out there as an advocate for their industry, then I'm sure that we're going to present a really good front. Um, I think the COVID-19 thing has really made people appreciate uh, farmers a lot more and in terms of self-sufficiency for Australia. And, I mean, you've just seen all the people do that run on toilet paper and then they did a run on mints. Um, and hopefully we won't have to go through all that again. But I think... Community's attitudes are changing. Started. I think they are appreciative. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there'll be some horrible announcement today to say Victoria's got more cases. But you know, I think people, I think people's attitudes are changing. It was very interesting. You know, we've a lot of this vegan stuff's been a bit distracting. And as I said, look, it's a minority voice. It is influential and. Part of our social license as farmers is that we do have to actually justify that we're doing the right thing in yeah, terms of absolutely. animal welfare and the environment. And I think um, getting on top of this carbon issue is really one of the steps in doing that. Just the final three questions, our three M's. Um, mistakes, Fiona, what um, mistakes have you made through your life? 
oh, I make mistakes all the time. It's the best way of learning, Tom. And um, if you asked various members of my family, I'm sure they'd have an endless list of all the mistakes I make. <laughs> um, but I think personally my biggest mistake is I'm a big procrastinator and I put things off um, and then, you know, you miss opportunities and you look back and it's often a personal thing. Um, you'll have someone close to you. You, you don't think no that's because around. of a great big list of things that you're doing, Fiona? Yeah, but sometimes it's a matter of setting priorities and sometimes you've got to, you know, it's very easy to be very busy um, and sometimes you've just got to say, actually, you've got to get better at saying no and um, taking time out for the things that are important. So um, that's... That's what I'd say is probably one of my biggest mistakes. But as I said, you could ask plenty of people around me and they'd have a much bigger list than that. And your masterpiece or masterpieces? Uh, masterpiece. Um, my masterpiece would have to be my three kids. Um, they didn't come with instruction manuals and they've all turned out to be very <laughs> nice people. <laughs> your social experiment? Oh, that's been my biggest social experiment ever. I had a... Uh, I had a... a it wasn't quite – I had a two-year-old and then twins, so we had three kids under three and um, that was uh, – and still running the farm and working and everything else and I'm just fascinated that everybody survived. So, But they've actually turned out to be really nice people. I'm very proud of them. And uh, Fiona, a mentor? Uh, probably my biggest mentor. I've had a couple and I think everybody I speak to is probably a bit of a mentor and they don't realise it, but probably one of my biggest mentors was my grandfather, who I spent a lot of time with when I was growing up. Um, he was passionate about agriculture. They farmed just west of Geelong. Um, I spent a lot of time with him doing all sorts of socially, uh, politically incorrect things now, like going shooting and rabbit trapping. Um, but when I turned 21, he... When I look back on it, it's probably a pretty weird thing. I don't know many 21-year-olds that want this as a birthday present, but I got given 200 ewes, and that was really the foot in the door for me in agriculture. So that's been a big influence on my life. Fiona and Tom, can I ask a little question for you, a little producer ahead of me both, and I just thought it might give an opportunity for you to just expand both a little bit. What do you think in the next 10 years the challenges will be in terms of uh, raising awareness in terms of carbon emissions from farms and how do you think you'll both tackle that? Tom, do you want to go first? I think that the um, carbon emission from farms is... A closed ecosystem, really. I think part of the biggest problem um, of carbon emissions on farm is the fact that um, some of the social acceptances of what we do, I think that if we wanted to close the system and um, make farming really work, then all of the city sewers should be going into effluent ponds and be trucked back onto farm um we should be doing things that the the urban people that i refer to i suppose who would find it um, unacceptable and needs to um, start to help and act as well and so there is no reason why we can't close the mineral cycle of agriculture within um within the world and get and stop putting nutrients in the sea and into and just dumping it without any real um, attitude or without any real understanding of, um, of, of how, how the system needs to be closed off. Carbon itself 
um, is photosynthesized from the sun every day. It's eaten by our animals, and and that carbon is then omitted as uh, uh, as either carbon dioxide or as methane. Methane is more conductive for long wave energy coming back into space. So that's the problem that methane contributes. Methane has a very short half-life. Carbon dioxide can be emitted and perhaps we're measuring things that are natural and have always occurred anyway. Bison roamed North America, um, the wildebeest of Africa, all of these animals have been reduced in numbers and been replaced by domesticated animals, which now have been labelled as um, animals that are contributing to man's influence on the climate. This is a bit crass, but um, whales produce 40 times more methane than a cow, and man's influence on whales hasn't been great. So what do you think, Fiona? Uh, look, I think you're spot on with the fact that, the, you know, it's, I think we're such a soft target in agriculture, um, you know, and it's, it's just that sort of slacktivism thing where people go, oh, I'm not going to eat red meat um, because, you know, I'm going to save the environment or, I'm, you know, you just, and it gets a bit tiring. But I think, you know, there's some figures there that show the average Australian household um, emits seven, who's responsible for emitting seven tonnes of carbon dioxide a year. And, and, I mean, nobody seems to be worried about that. Um, but I think in terms of agriculture, I think some of the biggest challenges are, one, we've got to get much better at selling a positive story. And I think the other thing we've got to really wrestle with is that the fact that we are experiencing climate change. You know, you look at what happened last summer, you look at the drought, and that makes it really hard to get this carbon... In Western Victoria, we're fine where we've got reasonable, reliable rainfalls, but we're going to have issues with it's hard for people to do the right thing if it doesn't rain. Um, You're not going to be sequestering salt carbon if it doesn't rain. You're going to be offloading stock. Um, That's a big issue, I think, as well. But um, I think, yeah, we've just... The big challenge is we've got to be better at documenting what we do, and I think that's part of what the MLA... um, carbon accounting program will hopefully do and it doesn't have to be to the level where we're selling carbon but if we can just quantify what's actually happening on farms and then we can sell that message um, more effectively but we've also got to you know just put it in perspective that there are a lot of other things causing emissions out there rather than livestock as i said you know electricity um, other sorts of power and transport really almost account for 70 percent of the australia's carbon emissions we're a small player. Thank you for indulging me both. It was just too good of an opportunity. And when you're both so oh, passionate about it and it was quite so simple, I just thought, okay, I'll, indul- I'll indulge myself in a little bit. <laughs> if you're enjoying the Raw Ag podcast, make sure you rate and review on your favourite podcast app. 